Well, thank you so much. Uh, let's take some time to open our Bibles, or if you have a device, you can take your device. And we have been in the Gospel of John for the last several months, and so we are find ourselves this morning in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John. If you're new to the Bible, those big, bold numbers is a chapter. The small, little numbers are your verses. Our hope today is to look at the first 16 verses of uh, John 19. I think I left my remote here. If you were with us last week, you know that we have been in the, the trials here of Jesus. And we're just picking up where we left off from uh, last week. I'd like to go ahead and read the first 16 verses of John 19. I invite you to follow along with me. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came in to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. And everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them over to them to be crucified. Father, as we look at these words today, they are heavy. They are sobering words. 
of what the consequences of our sin are. Lord, may we look at these words here and may there be a, a soberness that sets in that would eventually lead to gratitude and thankfulness again for this wonderful Savior that we would say hallelujah for the cross and the empty tune. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was July of 1962, and the, the rocket, I'm hoping... I guess we don't have slides today, guys. So Mariner, the rocket Mariner number 1 launched on July of 1962. The intention of this rocket was to go around the planet Venus, and it would gather and collect a bunch of data of that planet. But a misplaced hyphen in the computer code sent that rocket on an unintended course. And as a result, a NASA operator, seeing that it was veering off, and that if something wasn't done, that it would land on the earth, potentially with damaging consequences, pushed a button and blew it up. I think it flew for 293 seconds. That little hyphen cost NASA $80 million dollars or in today's money, about $700 million. One has called it the most expensive hyphen in the history. A small mistake with great consequences. In 2011, a 75-year-old woman named Haistan Shakirian of the country Georgia was, was just digging with her spade or a shovel. And as she was doing that, her shovel hit a wire. But it wasn't just any wire. It was a wire that controlled the entire nation's internet. And so for five hours, the nation of Georgia had no internet. And this was a massive problem, causing the economy to plummet during that time. She was eventually arrested for shutting down the internet. She said, I don't even know what the internet is. (laughs) Eventually she was released on account of old age. Thank you. In April of 1991, Gerald Ratner was a CEO of a British jewelry giant called Ratner's. And he was speaking at a prestigious Institute of Directors conference. It was a little stuffy. And so Mr. Ratner decided to spice things up a bit in his talk, and he intended to offer a little bit of humor. And in his humor, what he was going to do was kind of speak about the product that his company sold, and he he referred to it as cheap junk. He actually used a different word than junk there, but but he referred to it as that. And it got a lot of response in the crowd, but the media picked up on that soundbite and broadcast it widely. And that little sentence, or that little 10 seconds of attempt at humor, cost the company around a billion dollars. 
as they considered that line of jewelry much different. He would lose his job within a year, and it ruined his professional career. I can think of as a dad and mom there of, of children, how at one time, and as we were raising up boys, every time there was a cartoon that came across the theaters, we were jerrying our family over to the budget theater on the east side. Do you remember that? It was about 15, 20 years ago when there was that movie called Chicken Little. Do you remember? You know the storyline of Chicken Little. One little slip. (laughs) He just said once that the sky was falling. And he messed it up. And everyone remembered Chicken Little. They would never let him forget it. I wonder, when you think of sin... Do you think it's just one little slip? Is it, is it just one little mess up? God created the heavens and the earth. He placed a woman and a man in the garden. And he said to them, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So they took one bite. They chewed a little bit, and they swallowed. I mean, really, one little mistake that led to great consequences. Think of times as a child where maybe you swiped a few quarters or a few dollars from your mother's purse, or you glanced over the smart kid's shoulder in class to be able to cheat and get some answers on the quiz or the test, lying to make yourself look good, nursing a hurt and allowing the root of bitterness to grow. Greed, envy, jealousy, pride, gossip, lust. Are these mistakes? Are these lapses of judgment or something worse? The Bible says that sin is lawlessness. That God has made it known to us what He expects of us to do and what not to do, He has given to us His written word. Not only this, He's given to us a conscience where this law is written on our hearts. What happens when we violate it? The Bible tells us that our relationship with God is severed, that our prayers are hindered, that sin deceives us, and we will never be able to live out our calling and our design. Ultimately, the result of sin is death. Now, here's the one truth that I want you to get today. It is either you will die in your sins or Jesus has died for your sins. I don't think we can look at these 16 verses of John 19 and not feel the weight of what Jesus endured as the consequences for your sin. So I'll give you a little heads up today. I'm going to be more in your face than typical because I think that this passage calls for that. As we look at these passage in the first 16 verses of John 19, let me just review where we've been. There are six trials that Jesus underwent. The first three were on the Jewish court. We covered this last week where Jesus stood before the former high priest, a man named Annas. 
From there, he went to the current high priest, Caiaphas. The third trial in the Jewish court was Caiaphas and the Supreme Court, or the Sanhedrin. They passed him off to Pilate. Now we're in three Roman trials. Pilate meets with him. We covered that last week. Pilate realizes that he is a Galilean, so he then sends him to Herod. That's the fifth trial, and now Herod sends him back to Pilate. And that's what we have here in John 19, the sixth and final trial. And I want you to review with me as we look at this, the consequences for your sin. First, we see here in chapter 19, verse 1, that Jesus is flogged. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. One gruesome word that causes us to squirm in dread. You'll notice that John here is not at all attempting to play on our emotions by going into graphic detail of what flogging was. He just simply uses a word. What exactly is this idea of flogging? The idea is to take a a prisoner, to tie his wrists together, to put him on his knees and to have him up on a post where his back is not only exposed, but stretched out. And then a whip that looks something like this, that has a bunch of leather straps with bones and metal tied into them. That would be stretched across and whipped over the prisoner's back. Now in Jewish law, that would only be 39 times. But I would remind you, church family, that now Jesus is under Roman jurisdiction. And he will receive as many lashes as there is energy of Roman soldiers. Eusebius, a first century historian, said that martyrs who were torn by scourges down to deep-seated veins and arteries so that the hidden contents of the recesses of their bodies, their entrails and organs were exposed to sight. It is no wonder that many would actually die from being flogged. There were three reasons a person would be flogged, to punish him as a criminal, to gain a confession, or thirdly, to weaken them so that they would die sooner on the cross. Unless you think that your sin is just a mistake, one little slip, I want to remind you that your sin has consequences. Not only was he flogged, but we see in verse 2 that there was a crown of thorns. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. It is estimated that these thorns would be approximately two inches long. Undoubtedly, This crown was pressed down upon Jesus' head to poke through his skin and cause him to bleed. This was intended to not only inflict pain, but humiliation. Now, this is not the only time in the Scriptures that we have read about thorns. 
In Genesis 2, we read about them. Rather, in Genesis 3, verses 17 and 18, as man and women had sinned against God, one of the curses of that sin, God now speaking to Adam, he said, Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Jesus is literally wearing the consequences of Adam's sin upon his head. Sin, your sin, has consequences. Thirdly, we see in this passage that Jesus is mocked. We read in verse 2 that they put a purple robe on him. In verse 3 it says, They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Now the purple robe was the color of royalty. We're not exactly sure where this robe was gathered from. Was it off in the corner? Was it from someone else's uh, supply? We learn also from Matthew 27 that they had gathered a reed. Uh, a reed is something that a king would have, but they, a scepter is something that a king would have, but they made one out of a reed. And according to Matthew 27, verse 30, they took the reed and struck him on the head. According to Matthew 27, verse 30, they Bit on him. And this was only fulfilling what Isaiah predicted in chapter 50, verse 6, when he said, I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I have not my face from disgrace and spitting. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. This was not only mocking Jesus. But it was also mocking the Jews, like, this is the best that you can do. According to verse 3, they struck him with their hands. Now, was this something that caught Jesus by surprise? I would remind you what he said in foretelling this event in Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. He said to his disciples, see... We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. I'm reminded that sin, your sin, has consequences. In verse 4, it tells us that Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Now, this is not the first time that we have heard this claim by Pilate. We read it in chapter 18, verse 38. The last part says, I find no guilt in him. Verse 5 says, So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now the word behold means to look carefully. 
Look at the man that's been scourged. Look at the man where the crown of thorns has been placed on his head and he's been beaten with a reed. Look at the man that the soldiers have struck with their hands. Look at how he has been mocked. Haven't we done enough with this guy? He is innocent. I believe this is the heart of Pilate. This too was in fulfillment of Isaiah the prophet. In Isaiah 52, verse 14, it says, As many were astonished at you. Listen, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Listen, as Jesus stood before them that day, as Pilate said, Behold, look carefully at this man. They could hardly make out who it was because he had been beaten so brutally. Church, behold him. This is Jesus who said, let the little children come. This is Jesus who had a heart for the sinners. This is Jesus who said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus who said, if you are thirsty, come, I'll give you something to drink, and you will never thirst again. And now look to him. He is all beaten and bloody. And reminded again that sin, our sin, has consequences. I'm convinced that what Pilate was hoping to do was to elicit some pity from the crowd that day. That that is not what came out of them. Look at what it says in verse 6. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, "Well, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And that is the third time that we see in this narrative where Jesus or Pilate makes this claim, he's done nothing wrong. There is no guilt in him. If you want to crucify him, you crucify him. And he knew full well that the Jews did not have the political maneuver to be able to do that. So they respond this way. In verse 7, the Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. And they're right. The 24th chapter of Leviticus, verse 16. This is what their law says. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. Now they had the right, or in their law, they could kill someone, but not by the cross, but by taking stones and throwing it upon them. This man is claimed to be the Son of God. In verse 8, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. It occurred to him that this Jesus could actually be God. In verse 9 it says, And he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. If you've read through this story before, you realize that, that Pilate already knows where he is from. 
He is from Galilee. That's why he sent him to Herod at one point. Earlier in John 18, he knows that Jesus is not of this world. So when Jesus is silent, that's not out of disrespect. Jesus has a pattern that when someone asks him a loaded question or a question that is insincere, that he doesn't respond. And he's not responding to Pilate's question either. The prophet Isaiah said, He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. So in verse 10, Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. The word me here is emphatic. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You have no authority over me at all unless it has been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Here's an amazing truth for us to see that our God is so good, so powerful, and so wise that he can take someone as cowardly and as evil as Pilate and work good through it. The reason you have that office, Pilate, is not so much because your buddy got you this position. It's because God has ordained that you would serve for such a time as this. And then in verse 11 there it says, Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Yes, you're about ready to sin here, Pilate, but Caiaphas, that high priest that forced me over to you, his sin is actually greater. Why? Because he saw all the miracles. And this was never your idea, Pilate, to to have me before you, but it was Caiaphas's. And he has insisted and forced you to meet with me. Verse 12, From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And this was the lever. And this was the nerve that they would hit on. Because they knew Pilate's track record. We hit on this a little bit last week. And Pilate's five years of sermon as governor there of, of, of Jerusalem, he had several different missteps. There was a time where he insisted on sending uh, engraved images into the temple. And the Jews were like, this violates the scriptures. You have to get these out. There was a time when their money was so low in his own reserve and they wanted to expand the watering system that he literally sent soldiers, Roman soldiers, into the temple to to go after the treasury there in the temple to be able to pay to expand this watering system. And the man that had placed him in office had recently been poisoned and he was no longer in a place of influence. To say that Pilate was on thin ice is an understatement. He not only feared his job, he likely 
feared his life. In verse 13, so when Pilate heard these words, he brought out Jesus and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Can you imagine with me for a moment that Jesus, the holy, spotless lamb, is now on the judgment seat? And it's here where Matthew offers a little nugget. It says that while he was sitting on the judgment seat, Pilate's wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. See, sin has consequences. It says in verse 14, Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And Pilate said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. The Bible records here that it was about 6 a.m. on Friday morning. That time is significant because it was at this time where the priests would begin to offer sacrifices for the Passover festival. They would begin to offer up the spotless lambs. And once again, Jesus is brought out before the people, and there is that word, behold. This time it's not behold the man, it's behold your king. In other words, inspect the sacrifice. One more jab there at the Jews, as if to say, this is the best king that you all can, can, can put out there. And there he stood before the people. Behold, your king. And the Jews said something that is absolutely chilling. They said, we have no king but Caesar. In a moment, they had pivoted and become patriotic. And now they were all about the Roman eagle. But what is so ironic is that they had accused Jesus of blasphemy. But now it was them who were the blasphemers. Because they'd said, we only have one king. And it's the pagan Caesar. They had rejected the king of the Bible, the everlasting king, God the Father and God the Son. And now Jesus was outright being rejected. Once again, this fulfilled Isaiah that says he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. I just remind you that your sin, my sin, has consequences. And finally, we see in this passage that he was sentenced. Verse 16, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Despite being declared innocent three times by Pilate, Jesus is sentenced to be crucified. Isaiah 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, it's not just a misstep. It's not just a mistake. But our defiance, our rebellion, our disobedience has consequences. So the question is why? Why did Jesus do this? And you know the answer to that. One, we could say here that it is the will of God. Let me read to you what Isaiah 53 verse 10 says. Yes, it is the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days for the Lord, for the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The first reason Jesus did this, because it was not his will, but the Father's will. And ultimately, the great pain that he experienced was not in the scourging, was not in the crown of thorns, was not being beaten with a reed, but it was being separated from the Father as he absorbed your sin and my sin. You see, our sin has consequences. And there are several reasons I could offer, but I want to leave you with this last one. Why did Jesus do this? Because Jesus loves his friends. I'm reminded of what we covered earlier in the 15th chapter of John 15, where he said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is not only just a call so that you would feel guilty over your sin. I think we ought to repent of our sin, but it's not necessary for us to live in this this fog of guilt. Once we're forgiven, we are forgiven. But he has called us to be his friends. It was about a week ago, I came across an, an amazing story of these college wrestlers up in Wyoming uh, from Northwest College, a junior college in and there, there were times during the, um, during the spring after the, the elk and the moose and the deer would shed their antlers where these guys would go out and they would go collect these antlers. And on a good day, they could make literally hundreds of dollars where they would sell these. And, and these four guys would go out, out in the woods and, and they decided to kind of pair up. The two men on the right was a guy named Brady and a guy named Kendall. And as they were walking out into the woods, they were going through some thick brush, and suddenly and without notice, a 500-pound grizzly bear thumped Brady on the left, right on the chest, and knocked him down and just began to pounce on him and not only claw on him but begin to, to chew on him. His friend there, Kendall, began to yell and began to shout at this grizzly bear, trying to get him off his friend. And then he began to throw a stick. That didn't do anything, so he grabbed a big rock, threw it right in the middle of the the bear's back. That didn't do anything. And not wanting to leave his friend to death, he literally ran over and jumped on the back of that grizzly bear and began to wrestle a little bit to distract the bear, thinking that if I could distract it, maybe the bear would run off. Well, he did distract it from attacking Brady. 
But now the bear went on Kendall, the, the young man on the right, and just began to maul him and throw him around and claw him. And, and there's great details that go into this article. Eventually, he's just almost passed out. And, and the bear just begins to throw some dirt over him, thinking, I'll save him for later. And as he walks away, Kendall gets up. And these, these four guys meet up with one another. And Brady and Kendall are able to get to the hospital in, in Billings, Montana. And as they're sharing the same room with one another, Brady looks over at the hero, Kendall, and just captivated. How is it that you would save my life? How is it that you were willing to risk it all for me? He just stared at his friend, this wrestling friend. I cannot believe what you have done to save my life. Brady's dad came in. who He too was on a hunting trip and he looked over at his friend Kendall and he looked him in the eye and he says, you saved my son's life. And Kendall said, I would have rather died than haven't gotten away and known that I could have helped. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 5. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Sometimes you have a friend, and maybe there's a bear on them. And you might be willing to risk your life for it. But that is not the love of the gospel. Look at what it says there next in verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were shaking our fist at God, while we were walking in defiance, while we were blaspheming God, While we were mocking God, Jesus died to take on our sins for us. Why? Out of this great love that he has for you. And I would say to you, extending a friendship to you as well, a relationship. Yes, our sins have consequences. And yes, it's appropriate for us to feel that today. But the story doesn't end there. You see, either you will die in your own sins or you will receive the gift that is provided when Jesus died for your sins. What will it be? Will you die in your own sins and reject Jesus? Or will you say, no, he is king. I desire that he would be king and ruler of my life. I receive the gift that is provided for us. As we wind our message down today, I can't help but think that the most appropriate thing for us to do if you are a child of God is to be thankful, to live in gratitude. Maybe you've been coming to Highland Crest for a few weeks and you say, you know, I can't help but think they always come back to the cross and they're always talking about the cross and the empty tomb. Isn't there another message in the Bible? Well, there is just really one message that comes through over and over again and may we never veer away from that message. It's there where we have our joy 
It's there where we have our gratitude and we live that out. Perhaps today as we close and we prepare to sing a song, maybe, maybe the appropriate thing for you to do would just be to come to the altar and say, thank you. My sin does have consequences. Jesus was flogged. He had a crown of thorns put on his head. He was mocked. He was rejected. And he was sentenced. Why? Because of my sin. And just come and say, thank you, Jesus, for that. Perhaps the Lord is doing a work in you and you're seeking after personal revival. You say, here, I want to come at the altar and I want to continue to pray through that. There's certainly nothing magical about this uh, this altar. Although uh, Titus told me that now you can start tap dancing on it, but couldn't do that on a platform last week. Perhaps you just want to worship today. We've intentionally chose a song to close this message as behold. Behold your God. The great God that we see in the, the scriptures. It is a word that we've seen twice in this passage today. Behold the man as well as behold your king. May we sing that in response to the truths that we've heard today. May we sing it with all of our life. And if you have yet to trust Christ, if you have yet to make him the king of your life, won't you do that right now? Won't you pray with me as our music team comes? Father, we thank you for the time that we can gather and we can look at this sobering passage of Scripture. Yes, it reminds us that our sin has consequences. They're not just little missteps. But an innocent man was killed brutally because of our sin. Because this was according to your plan. And love is being extended to us today. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We thank you for Jesus laying his life down to us. This morning, if you've never, if you never believed in Jesus, put your trust in what he has done for you. Do it now. He extends to you a relationship. He would be your king and ruler over all the areas of your life. Turn from your sins and now just believe in him. Father, we thank you that we can see this passage and that we can behold you, that truly you are the great God, our great God, the great God of the scriptures. We thank you for this. We thank you for making it possible to have a relationship through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.